Our scripture this morning is found in Jonah. And we're going to be looking at at um, chapter 1, verse 17, through all of chapter 2. Jonah chapter 1, 17 through 2, 10. You know, in everything that is written, everything that is spoken, there is what is known as the thesis statement. And the thesis statement is the main point. It is the main thing that I want to talk about or the author wants to talk about, the message that they want to communicate. Jonah has the honor of containing the thesis statement of the Bible. Salvation is from the Lord. That's the thesis of the Bible. Salvation is from the Lord. It comes from Him. We're going to see it uh, in a couple of hours when we get to the end of this message. No, I'm kidding. Not much, but I am kidding a little bit. We'll see it in a little bit. We'll see that our salvation from start to finish is all about God. Jonah chapter 1 verse 17 through chapter 2 verse 10. In the honor of the reading of God's word, let's stand. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish. And he said, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. You heard my voice, for you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. All your breakers and billows passed over me. So I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever. But you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. But I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. Let us pray. Father God, we love you so much, and we thank you for the reading of your perfect and infallible word in our midst this morning. Lord God, as you uh, gave to Jonah this perfect and infallible word, we pray, O God, that you would illumine our hearts and minds this morning to understand and apply this great text to our lives. Father God, we love you with all of our soul. We trust you with all of our heart. We offer to you our love, our lives, and this prayer. In and through the name of our risen Lord and Master, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I said just a few moments ago that the theme of the entire Bible uh, is there at the end of verse 9 where Jonah, listen to me, Jonah finally got to the point where he recognized what God was trying to do in his life, okay? 
Anybody there? Listen, how many of y'all still running? How many, how many of y'all still in the belly of the great fish? Okay. Can I tell you a secret? You're going to be there. You're going to be there until you do what Jonah said to do. Until you, until you get to the same place that Jonah did, that you cry out to God in repentance and you recognize that salvation comes from the Lord. Now, what I want you to recognize, right there in verse 9, he does not say salvation comes from the church. Hello? He does not say salvation comes from the church. Now, there are many that believe that I, as the pastor of the church, hold the keys to salvation, and that I, as a priest in the line of an unbroken line going, you know, all of that mess, that I get to decide who is saved and who is not. Uh -uh. Uh-uh. I'm out of that. I'm in sales. I'm not in management. Okay? Hello? I, I don't get to decide who's saved and who's not saved. Now, I can be a fruit inspector. I can look at somebody and say, you know what? Boy, Heidi, I'm, I'm looking real hard. I'm not seeing it, but, you know, that's between them and the Lord. Now, there's some things that a, a person might do that you'd say, listen, I think I need to evangelize that individual. Anyway, Jonah doesn't say salvation comes from the church. Jonah does not say that salvation comes from works. Okay? I read an article this week that, that was entitled... I forget how he points the word, but misconceptions people have against the the Catholic Church. And and one of the misconceptions it pointed out is that we believe that that good works are are required in Catholicism to be saved. Well, listen to me. In Catholicism, priests got to get involved in your salvation. Hello? Priests must be involved in your salvation. And according to Catholic doctrine, they said it was wrong for us to think that the Catholic Church teaches that that, you, that that works are not part of your salvation. Well, they're not reading their own dogma. They're not reading the, the, the Contra-Reformation from the Council of Trent in 1545 that says, let anyone who says that salvation is by grace through faith alone without any works be anathema. Do you understand what they just said? you got to work for your salvation. Works contribute to, to your salvation. They're not a result of it. They're a, a cause of it. Jonah didn't say salvation comes from works. It's going to sound strange coming from Baptist. Jonah didn't say salvation comes from the ordinances. The ordinances, not the sacraments. We are not going to celebrate a sacrament tonight. You understand what I'm saying? What's a sacrament? A sacrament is something that conveys salvation. We do not believe that baptism conveys salvation. In fact, the Bible specifically teaches it does not. We'll talk about that more tonight. Salvation does not come from the sacraments. It doesn't come from from baptism. It doesn't come from the Lord's Supper. We do that because we're saved, not in order to get saved. Jonah tells us that salvation is of the Lord. The point at which Jonah learns this truth. Hello. How many of y'all like me have to learn the most important lessons in your life the hard way? You know, I had a, 
a session at, at, at Summer Institute. I, I do the same session every year. It's really simple. Don't tell anybody there's no prep time involved. Okay. It's called Tech Roundtable. And what we do, they give me the biggest room, usually the library. And all of us that do what I do for a living sit around the table and we talk about what's going on in, in our district in technology. We talk about things that we've done in the past year that worked really, really well. And then, here's the one I really love. We talk about those things that you want to share with somebody. Whatever you do, don't ever do this. Okay? Don't ever install that particular update without having a snapshot of your server before you install it. Okay? Jonah is at that point in his life. He's in the belly of the fish. Now, I want you to think about it for a moment. How many of y'all ever been like to Ruby Falls or, or Bristol Caverns or one of those places, right? You go inside there and they turn the lights out. And it is some kind of dark in there. Well, it is some kind of dark where Jonah is. If you've ever been in a place for, you know, where you're engaged in sensory deprivation, it can make you go insaner than you already are. Some of y'all get that. Some of y'all are offended. You ought not be. It just meant, well, anyway, that's a whole other sermon. Jonah is restored to the Lord right after, and we'll see it, right after he says salvation is from the Lord. He's had time to think about this thing. He's had time to understand what God is doing or wants to do in his life. Now, what got him there? Trying to run away from God. Trying to run away from the call of God on his life. Now, some of y'all are going, whew, preacher ought to be preaching this at the, you know, the associational meeting. Or he ought to be preaching this at the pastor's conference or at the Bible conference because everybody knows that the people in, in those rooms are the only ones that have a call on their life. Let me tell you a secret that the Bible teaches very clearly. If there's not a call on your life, you're not saved. Hello? Because the fact that you got saved was a call on your life. It was a call from God for you to come and to be one of His children. And the reason that we separate out what I do and what our deacons do from everybody else is so that we can put some distance between service to God and ourselves. Now, true, Jonah was a priest. He started out a priest. And God came to him and he said, Jonah, I want you to go preach to the Ninevites. And Jonah said, uh-uh. No way, no how. And he ran from God. He ran from God's call. He refused to do what God told him to do. And the path of disobedience took him to the belly of a great fish. Can I tell you a secret? It'll do the same thing in our lives. May not be a literal great fish as it was in the life of Jonah, but God will take you. How many of y'all ever get, got took to the woodshed by God? Y'all know what I'm talking about. 
How many of y'all once he gets you in his woodshed want to do whatever it takes to get out of that woodshed? I understand now, Lord. I understand. You don't want to be like the people we was reading about in Jeremiah where you're down in that thing for 70 years. We've seen that Jonah was fleeing from God's call on his life. But listen to me. Listen to me. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. God was determined not to let Jonah throw his life away. Hello? I stand before you this morning because God was determined not to let me throw my life away. And most of y'all, I hope, could testify the same thing. I am in this building today because God was determined to keep me from throwing my life away. God will do whatever it takes to lead us to repentance and submission to His call. Verse 17. God appointed. I love that. God appointed. This, this word appointed is used four times in the book of Jonah. Once right here and then three times in verses 6, 7, and 8 in chapter 4. Where God plants, or God plants, God appoints a plant or a vine and a worm and a weed or an east wind. And so Jonah, he's out in the middle of the ocean. He's out in the middle of the ocean and there's a horrible storm going on. And just at that moment, a great fish swims by. God appointed a great fish to be in exactly the right place at exactly the right time to pick up Jonah. And this demonstrates God's great power over all life in nature. Now, some of y'all are sitting there saying... How in the world could somebody survive for three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish? Preacher, surely you don't believe this. Wait a minute, let me, let, let me give it the test. Is it in the Word of God? Yes, I believe it. That settles it. If the Word of God says that a great fish swallowed Jonah and Jonah was in the stomach of the great fish for three days and three nights, then guess what happened? A great fish swallowed Jonah and, and, and he was in the belly of that great fish for three days and three nights. If God could speak the universe into existence, then I don't think this is going to be stretching his ability very much. Amen? And you know, have you ever read some of the commentaries where, where they're trying to explain away a miracle? And, and it takes more faith to believe what they're saying it took or happened than it does to just believe what the Word of God says. You know, we get that when we, when we get to the resurrection. A lot of people say, well, he just swooned. Well, I tell you what, let me beat you within an inch of your life. Let me whip you with a cat of nine tails, 40 lashes. Let me put a, a crown of thorns on your head. 
Let me beat you with a staff. Let me then walk you through town naked. Get you up on a hill. Nail you to a cross. Let you hang there for three hours and then poke a spear in your side. And let's see whether you swoon or whether you die. How many takers we got on that one? Some of them will say that the disciples came and stole his body. Now listen, beloved, I've been there. I've been there that there'd be an awful lot that you would do to try to cover for a lie, something you knew that you were lying about. How many of y'all willing to die for a lie? There's a lot that we'll do for a lie, but we'll not die for one. And every single one of the apostles died rather than recant their faith in Jesus. I mean, listen, beloved, what are the odds? You would think at least one of them would break, right? If they knew this not to be true, you would think one of them would have broken. But none of them did. And the most logical explanation for that is that these men really saw Jesus die and they really saw him again after he had died. That's the only logical explanation for it. Anyway, moving on. Because we're almost out of time already. So why did God do this? Why did God put Jonah in the belly of the great fish? Why was God calling Jonah to go to Nineveh? Because there was a whole bunch of lost people in Nineveh that were going to die and go to hell if Jonah didn't go there. Hello? And so God put Jonah in the belly of the great fish. And Jonah even mentions it uh, in, 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 his, in verses 2 through 9. How he felt like he was in Sheol, the place of the dead. It was quiet. It was dark. It stunk. Or from a King James friend, it stunketh. It was bad inside there. God wanted to give Jonah a sense of what was facing these people that he refused to go and preach the gospel to. Do I need to chase that one any further? Some of y'all may ask, preacher, you know, some of the things, I've, I've had a rough life. I don't doubt it. All of us have. Some of us got things in our life that would make somebody else's toenails curl if we told them about it. Why did God allow that to come into our lives? Same reason he allowed that to come into Jonah's life so that we would have a sense of what that was like because God's going to send somebody across our path that only we can talk to about that because we've been through it. We've been in the belly of that great fish and we can talk to them about what it's like to be like, be inside the belly of that great fish and then we can close everything that we say is, you know what I learned? I learned that salvation is from the Lord. That's what I learned at all, that I learned that salvation is from the Lord. God used the fish 
to demonstrate or to deliver Jonah from death in order to demonstrate his amazing love and mercy. Verses 1 through 9. Notice how chapter 2 starts. And you heard it when I read it. Then Jonah prayed. Hello? Now, I mean, i got to assume at some point back in chapter 1 he had been praying because God was talking to him, right? God said, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah said, no, I'll go anywhere in the world, Lord, but there. Listen, you think after he did that when he said, no, Lord, and could I just mention to you, you cannot use those two words in the same sentence. If you say no, he's not Lord in your life. If he's Lord, then you cannot say no. But do you imagine that Jonah said no, Lord, and then he went, "Uh, Lord, would you show me where you would have me to go? Would you show me, you know, would you reveal to me where you would have me to go? He didn't pray about going to Joppa. Lord, would you show me which boat to get on? Now, God might have answered that one, okay? He might have answered that one. Lord, would you show me which boat to get on? Once he got on the boat, pretty clear he wasn't praying. Why? Because the captain of the ship had to come down and say, Boy, what is wrong with you? Get up and pray. And we still have no indication that Jonah prayed. He just said, I know what the problem is. (laughs) Here's the problem. The problem is I hadn't been praying. Hello? The problem is I hadn't been praying. And so the best thing for me is for you, or the best thing for you is just throw me out into the ocean. And you'll be saved. Hmm. Isn't that just like us so many times? We know what God wants us to do. Using those blocks. Lord, would you have me give 10% of my income to you? How come we don't pray that? Because we already know the answer to it. And we don't want to have to do it. We don't want to hear that yes from God. Lord, would you have me share my faith with my lost neighbor or my lost family member? We don't pray that prayer. See, beloved, when we pray... It's when God puts us in the belly of the great fish. That's when we start praying. Oh, you better believe we'll start praying then. We'll start praying in perfect King James English. We'll be throwing around so many these and thys and thous that it, it, it makes Shakespeare proud. Jonah in verses 2 through 9 tells us where we find ourselves. In verse 3, we're engulfed. We're engulfed. The current engulfed me. We're expelled from the sight of God, verse 4. And we're encompassed by the calamity our sin brought into our lives, verse 5. Then we pray. Oh, yeah, we'll pray. Y'all ever been in that situation? You've been in a mess of your own making? 
You know, you're sitting there and you know. You're having one of those lucid moments when you're not trying to blame everybody around you for it being their fault that got you into this mess. Okay? And you're owning up to it. You're saying, you know, Lord, I got myself into this mess. I got myself into this mess because I wasn't listening to you. And I'm asking you, Lord, to get me out of this mess. But do you see what happened? In those verses right after that, what's Jonah doing? He's quoting Scripture. Inside the belly of the great fish, Jonah is quoting Scripture. Most of what we read in these verses are David's Psalms. Why would he choose David? Well, if you've been with us during our evening service, you know we do have an evening service. We start at 645 every every Sunday night. It's amazing. You know, we go through the Word of God. I'm reluctant to tell you I've got more time to spend in the Word of God. Okay? I don't have to rush through things. But we've been studying through the Psalms. And we see that multiple times, just in the Psalms that we're up to, David's been in the belly of a great fish. And Jonah not only has a passing familiarity with the Word of God, he has committed the Word of God to memory. Do you have a regular plan of memorizing Scripture in your, in, in your life? You ought to. And I, and I don't just mean John 3.16. I don't mean the one, the low-hanging fruit, Jesus wept. Okay, we all got that one memorized, amen. Most of us could probably quote Genesis 1-1 from memory. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Whatever our life verse is, we can quote that. That's good. I'm not putting you down for doing that. But what I am saying is that we all need to have a regular program of memorizing the Word of God. Because there may come a time when we will need the Word of God and not have a printed copy with us or an electronic copy with us. And I want you to notice one more thing. When he's going through this problem in his life, he's not quoting the rabbis. He's not going, you know what? I heard my preacher say a couple of weeks ago. Or he's not saying, I read a commentary on this a couple of weeks ago. Or I read this article online. He is quoting the Word of God because he has committed the Word of God to memory. I encourage you, listen, it is as easy as sitting down maybe once a month, even once a quarter, taking a three, a stack of three by five index cards and writing down a verse that you want to memorize. Write it down. No, don't type it into your phone. Write it down. There, there, there is a connection between things that you write and things that you remember, okay? Because it takes you longer to write it. Write it down, and then while you're standing there admiring how good-looking you are in the morning, brushing your teeth and combing your hair, you're looking at that and memorizing the Word of God. Have a copy and put it uh, on the dash of your car. We don't look at our speedometer anyway. I'm not telling you to cover up any important instrument in your car, okay? But anyway, you understand what I'm saying. 
Make a regular practice of memorizing the Word of God. And then one other thing I want you to, to see. He calls out. He calls out. Again, we're back in, in, in verse 1. Y'all are going, oh my goodness. Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. His God. See, it doesn't do me any good to call out to a God. It, listen, it does me no good to know that the Lord is a shepherd. I have to know He is my shepherd. Spurgeon once said, It doesn't do me any good to know that there's a bank. That doesn't make me rich. It's only when I have money in that specific bank that I am well off. Verse 2, Jonah finally cries out to God. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but listen to me, beloved. Sometimes God sends afflictions into our lives because we hadn't been praying. And in verse 4, he begins to sing a, a song of, of deliverance. And then in faith, he says, Never, Nevertheless, I will again look toward thy holy temple. You know, I've told you all in the past when I was stationed in Beaufort, I, I really didn't know that God was had a call on my life. I, I, I knew He wanted more for me than I was giving Him. And to get from one side of town to the other, I had to drive past, past First Baptist Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. And don't you know every time I approached that church, there was something on the other side of the road that demanded my undivided attention as I drove past it so I wouldn't have to look at God's church. Jonah says, I recognize, God, what I've done. I recognize what I've done, and I'm going to gaze again at that which I didn't want to have any part of. Now listen to me. Jonah only repented after his life had hit rock bottom. He was willing to repent only after he had suffered, nearly died, and was experiencing the consequences of his sin. And in his repentance, he began to praise God. Christians, beloved, ought to be about praising God. It ought to be our characteristic. And he concludes with the theme of it all. Great truths are learned in deep trouble. Every one of us in this room could testify that I have learned great truths in deep trouble. Jonah has learned that salvation is of the Lord. Jonah finally understood. Now, he's not he, he's going to slip back. He's going to backslide. We'll see it in a couple of weeks. But Jonah has learned that God longed to save the Ninevites who were doomed to death and hell. Jonah was finally ready to go and do what God called him to do. Beloved, we must truly repent of our sin and call upon his name. Verse 10. Jonah has cried out to God from the belly of the fish. He made promises and vows from the belly of the fish. He remembered the Lord and he was still in the fish. But the moment that he says, salvation is of the Lord, Ralph deposits him on dry land. That was the great fish's name, Ralph. Ralph. He Ralphed him out. All right? Man, that had to be nasty. 
Okay, I mean, that had to be nasty. You know, you just come out covered in vomit and great fish vomit. First person you say, hey, could I tell you about Jesus? <laughs> you know, no, get away from me. <laughs> you chase them down anyway. Jonah's deliverance came after his repentance was complete. He wasn't just sorry for what he did. He was now trusting God again. And many believers today, there is a work of God that will remain undone as long as we resist Him and refuse to trust Him. The point is, is that salvation is of the Lord. It is of the Lord in its conception. It has always been on God's heart. This what, listen, do you understand that this whale, God didn't just go, hey, you know what? There's a whale over there nearby Jonah. Let's get that one. That whale had been foreordained to be in that area since before God created the universe. Our salvation is of the Lord in its conception. It is God who set forth propitiation for our sin through the faith or through faith in the blood of Jesus. We do not have a part in it. It is of the Lord and its application. The Bible tells us that apart from the, the presence of the Lord in our life, we are dead in trespasses in sins. It is God the Father who planned it. It is God the Son who laid the foundation of it in the blood of His cross. And it is God the Spirit who moves upon us and touches our hearts and brings us to Jesus. And it is of the Lord in His preservation. He makes us dependent upon Him from the moment we are saved throughout all of eternity. As the manna was given day by day, so is the grace of God. In closing, I just want to say simply this. While salvation is of the Lord, damnation is of man. You understand that? Salvation is of the Lord. But damnation is of man. We choose whether we're going to be saved or whether we're going to be damned. You will never be able to blame God that you are lost. Some may protest that you want to have Jesus and have your old sins too. It can't be done. You either respond to Jesus totally or you respond to yourself totally. But in a moment, when I give the invitation, you are without excuse. God is offering His grace to you right here, right now. I invite you to put your faith and trust in the One who died for you. He asks you to trust in Him who died for you, who gave Himself for you, who so longs that you come to Him because salvation is of the Lord. Will you make the confession this morning? that your salvation is of the Lord.